This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Alessia Russo is back here. What a moment. And England are into the final of the Euros. A slow start, but then a brilliant performance all over the pitch. From Mary Earp's early save to Beth Mead's unerring finish. And the absolute filth from Russo to seal it all. Adding a deserved fourth from Frank Kirby. Lucy Bronze's header. And now the women get the chance to emulate the men. An agonising penalty defeat to France or Germany. Or you never know, it could be their first ever major trophy. We'll spend most of the pod looking back at last night. If there's time, we'll ask if it's helpful for Sir Alex Ferguson to turn up and help with the Ronaldo negotiations. Any other business, your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, uh, fresh from uh, commentating and uh, from front of millions on BBC One, Robin Cowan, welcome. Well, thanks, Max. I try not to think about that fact too much, but yeah. I'm amazed you're still sullying yourself with us. <laughs> no, this is the that. peak. This is it. Uh, former England international Anita Asante, welcome, Anita. Hi, Max. Glad to be on. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Jordan Jarrett Bryan and his hot takes. Hello, mate. Good morning, pal. How are you? Um, Robin, you were there then. You were commentating. Uh, how, how was it? Very, very special. Very special. It was. Um, I still can't quite believe that happened because this stuff doesn't really happen to England, men's, women's, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, and as you mentioned, it, it didn't start very well. Very nervy and Sweden were looked like they were executing a very effective game plan. But as we've seen throughout the tournament with Sweden, they just can't quite reach the level they, they were kind of hyped up. And then, um, yeah, England just started scoring and... To be honest, taking the piss. I mean, Russo, it's just, that's the, she's having her own goal of the tournament sort of competition on her own. The Northern Ireland one was good enough, you know, a little turn and, and shot. This one, I mean, the, Ian Wright was saying, you know, she actually missed a sitter, you know, the, she should have scored the first time. But then to do that, I mean, yeah, those sort of banter football accounts would be like, oh, they have a family, <laughs> that sort of thing. I mean, it was just to do that in a semi-final of a major tournament. It's just unthinkable. So, yeah, it, it was amazing. Anita, that was the moment where I, I mean, I really sat up straight and was like, you know, sort of made involuntary noises. It was, <laughs> it was, it was worth her missing the sitter to do that, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think... That was what like makes you feel about this is what tournaments about tournament football these like magic moments of like individuals you know produce and and that you're gonna talk talk about with your mates for weeks on weeks on end to come and you're gonna see kids trying to replicate it, their power leagues um, those types of goals so yeah it was a fantastic moment for her but uh, it was an incredible for for England as well to show that they could come out that second half and and dominate a game and 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 put a team like Sweden second in the world uh on their heels 
Jordan, I'm I'm waiting for you to say it wasn't that good. <laughs> that sort of that. That's sort of, I'm just I just want to put it out there. It wasn't the best goal of the night, in my opinion. I thought Beth Mead's goal was the best goal of the night. I thought it was a real striker type finish goal. That 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 goal gave me the most amount of pleasure. But yeah, Russo's taken absolute liberties, and it was compared. Um, I was on. I was. An, I was an event last night, so I only saw the first. I saw the last twenty five minutes, and I watched back the first hour uh, this morning. Um, and I, I was listening to a lot of the callers and over a couple of us splitting between two different radio stations, just listening to the reaction um, to the win and to the goal. And I, I think that people are comparing it to the Thierry Henry goal for Arsenal in 04, I think it was. The reason why I think Russo's goal was better was because it was instinctive. Where if you look at Henri's goal, he's holding a player off and he's thinking about what can I do? What can I do? Oh, I'm going I'm to do this. Whereas Russo's goal was just, I'm just doing it. There, there was no time to think about it. I think that kind of slightly gives it the edge if we're going to compare the two types of goals. But yeah, no, it, it wasn't the best goal of the night for me. Um, so I don't want to poo-poo the goal too much. Um, it was a brilliant goal. It was, it was an absolute liberty. But um, yeah, and as Robin says, she's just taking um, you know, quality goals in the competition to, to another level. Big fan of her. I think with Alessi Russo, and it's throughout the whole team, to try that, that comes down to the manager giving them that confidence, that freedom to do that. Because... I just don't think many players would do that in that situation, you know, with the crowd and the and the weight of sort of what, what the result would mean. And I just think that's just, I can't praise the manager highly enough. They're playing with such clarity and freedom and belief. And just the fact that she, she tried that and it came off, just that's what Serena Vigman has given this team. I was sort of texting um, the TalkSport presenter Paul Hawksby about uh, you know, should Ellen White or Alicia Russo be starting? And I actually thought White did her job yesterday and I'm not sure she has been all the time, but I thought she played really well. And then I was like, I like Russo coming off the bench. And it's like bringing on Grant Holt because, you know, like, and then and then Russo did that. And I thought, I'm not sure Grant Holt would have would, would do that back here. Wait, like, and I may be doing him a massive disservice. Um, I, 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 then, I, I went, Anita, I then went on this sort of, um, I don't know if I, I got myself very confused about, the legality of a nutmeg and what actually a nutmeg is because I sort of feel and you obviously played many times for England and I don't know if you ever had this debate in the dressing room feels to me that that a nutmeg you need to collect the ball yourself right if you're just putting it through the keeper's legs then you're just putting it through the keeper's legs that was my view um that guy who says she eat a lot in the wire, I forget what <laughs> bunk from the wire. He thinks it is a nutmeg. I don't know. You could choose one side or the other, Anita. Nah, it's it's a nutmeg still, <laughs> I think. Yeah, I mean, through the legs is, is a nut, but maybe there's levels to this, you know. That's a, a different type of nutmeg, it's a nutmeg finish or a nutmeg that we saw, I think Georgia Stanway did in the middle of the park, um, through a player and collected the other side. That was a clean nutmeg but I know what you're saying like normally when we play run rondos and there's those iffy nutmegs that come off someone's you know heel or the whatever thigh I don't count those it has to be clean no and then everyone bursts into hysterics it's the most amazing moment on <laughs> yeah. earth you're like no it's exactly. not funny it's just not it's not even nutmeg anyway I, I confused myself um afterwards Anita Alex Scott was pretty emotional talking about not just the players on the pitch but like all the investment that's gone before the people involved to get to this stage which includes you know players like you I mean is that is that how you felt at full time about this moment or were you just kind of half cut in a pub in Bristol going this is great 
no, I think it, it, it was an emotional moment. I think for everyone that's been committed to the game, whether you've been on the pitch around it to see, you know, the, the levels in terms of attendances, the quality on the pitch, what this moment will mean for the, the legacy of women's game in England as well and how it can continue is, is, is immense. You know, I think people forget that the girls that are playing today, they are aware of the weight of, of kind of what they're doing for the wider good of the game. Um, you know, they don't go out there every day carrying that on their shoulders, but there is that sense of like we are or they are, you know, helping progress the game forward and and challenge um, kind of the culture and improving resources and opportunities and all of those things. So when they do well, everyone has the opportunity to benefit in the long term. Um, so it, it is it is emotional because none of us, you know, I was sat in a pub with all types of people, you know, men, women, kids, families, whatever, celebrating and, and cheering and, and and being invested in this team. And never did I think we'd get that kind of even pub culture where people are coming to watch women's football um, in, in their droves as well. And just to add to Anita's point there, as I mentioned, I was I was really keen. Um, Robin and Anita can talk about the actual game itself. They're far more qualified um, and knowledgeable on that than I am. But what I'm interested in is is the reaction to what England are doing and what women's football is is is, is moving is the space it's now moving into. And listening to a lot of the callers on the two stations I was listening to last night, there was there were callers that were saying, you know, I want to apologise because I called up two weeks ago and I was saying this women's football is this and that, and actually it's it's really good and this team are really technically gifted and I I, I thought that that was really really interesting and whilst I don't think that we should be like I've played golf I hate golf I don't like it um tiramisu I lived in Italy I hate tiramisu lots of people love it um Robocop the film I'm thinking of now was a love there are things that other people like that I don't like we shouldn't be I think marginalizing people that don't like women's football that's 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 fine I think as long as they respect those that do I think it's fine but I think I find it interesting that there's a lot of mainly men that seem to be now actually respecting what they're seeing and I think this tournament actually has been the word I would use is fun I've really enjoyed watching this as well as the high quality of football that we're seeing from in the first game wasn't fun um, it was quite drab but most first games to be fair are but I'm just interested in the reaction from from people that maybe were weren't really invested in women's football who now, I wouldn't say they're probably necessarily fans of women's football, but they're actually now learning to appreciate and respect the skill, the dedication, the work that's been put in to get into this England team to where it's got to now. And I think that whilst we shouldn't, like I say, marginalise those that don't love it, um, I think we should also understand that there are lots of people now that are coming round to the idea that this is high quality football. Golf tiramisu Robocop. I mean, my mind that he flagged <laughs> Gareth Bale on a di in a different world would be would be holding. Producer Joel just says golf tiramisu Robocop. What a Saturday that is. What a lovely day. What a perfect a nightmare day. for Jordan. That, that <laughs> would be the worst day yeah, ever. Making it, yeah. But it's an interesting, interesting <laughs> point that Jordan makes there, Robin. You know, like my 83-year-old dad mm. is WhatsApping me during that game. Like that hasn't that that's not happening. Actually, not just from him to to me, but both ways four or five years ago, you know, yeah. like my mates WhatsApp groups are, are talking about that. And I suppose there's a sort of drip, drip effect. I guess we can talk later as to this is a tournament. There's no other football happening at the moment. So all eyes are on this. And actually it happens with the men's tournament as well. Lots of people start watching the games who don't really have any interest in football. It doesn't necessarily mean there'll be a huge 
increase in attendance in WSL, but it, it it's a drip drip effect, right? It doesn't happen overnight. And there are, like Ian Wright said afterwards, so many young girls watching that getting inspired, and young boys as well, who women's football will not be weird to them. I've said this before, but when I was ten, women playing football was just a joke, right? It wasn't, and it was it was like, n- don't be silly, that doesn't happen. Whereas my son, who's four months old, won't have that growing up. Totally, no, that that that's that's the key. Yeah, no. When I played at school, I was the only girl in a boys' team in primary school. I was seen as very strange. It's and I'm just so excited for those who are, you know, will go. Yeah, as I say, it's not weird to see young girls of all ages playing now. Um, and I think I'm really pleased um, that John's raised that. That it's fantastic to hear people say oh, I've actually watched it. There are people who still haven't watched any women's football and say it's shit, which I don't really think is <laughs> naming no names. But um, the fact that they're actually watching it and changing their mind is great. And you're absolutely right, Jordan. We shouldn't sort of, you know, if people don't enjoy it, that's fine. The only thing I would say is they don't have to tell us they don't enjoy it. <laughs> I don't send out a list of everything I hate. <laughs> this is the thing. I think it's a social media thing, really, isn't it? <laughs> you know, if you tweeted that you hate Robocop and then, you know, the whole internet exploded because <laughs> people need to need to have their opinion heard. Um, so it, it's great. And I think I think generally this country, they especially with football, no matter who it is, if, they, if England doing well, it's something you know, I don't really watch rugby, but if England are doing well, you know, and they get to a final, I will watch it. So, uh, it, yeah, it, it's great. It's just great. You know, there's a real feel-good factor around the place. Back to the game, Anita. I mean, there were so many brilliant performances on the pitch. I thought Lauren Hemp was excellent down the left. Rachel Daly, especially after the Spain game, you know, lots of people didn't think she'd start. And I thought she had such a shot from the beginning. She had a brilliant game. Frank Kirby was so good. I mean... It's hard to pick someone out. I don't know who if you want to single anyone out or any performances you thought were particularly impressive last night. Yeah, I think we've got to give a shout out to Mary Earps because 20 seconds into the game, she doesn't make that save. We're watching a different game potentially, in my opinion. So I think she, she stepped up in, in two really big moments. She did that in the Spain game as well. She has relatively few caps that, that you know, for England. Um, but she showed her maturity, her leadership as well. You take all the football out of it. I think just her body language, if you notice, when they were stressed out and, it, you know, the, the pressure was coming from Sweden, she was the one fanning her arms up and down, you know, marshalling orders to the back line and to everyone trying to settle the team. And I liked to see that. And I liked to see that someone took responsibility and she had the confidence to do that um, in, in, in a, you know, a pivotal moment. Um, and of course, it gives everyone that like, yeah, come on, we're in this type feeling when a goalkeeper makes a save. So, you know, I think you've got to give a lot of credit to, to Mary Earps, um, who really kept the girls in it. But yeah, so many good performances in the end. You know, you saw Fran Kirby show her magic, what she's about, getting in between the pockets, finding forward passes, linking play. Um, Lauren Hemp, who is largely at part times been nullified by opposition teams because we've all been bragging about how good she is. We've almost done her a disservice because everyone's been on the tactics board. How can we stop Lauren? Um, but I think she found some space and was able to show her attributes, you know, her speed, her pace with the ball, you know, just getting into create the creative phase and linking play. Ultimately, that's what we want to see. You know, my main main thing is that I want to see the girls show that level of confidence that they had towards this, the end of the game, the second half, come the final, start in the game. I want them to just come out and believe that they can 
bring out a performance like that in the first half as well. Can I just say, I'm not having that, that Mary Earp save, the one that was tipped over the bar. The hyperbole that I heard, it's like, that is as a goalkeeper, and I'm not a goalkeeper, that's the one place you want the ball to be, down the middle, the top, that's where you are. And I don't know if, Robin, you were part of this gang, but I had everybody going crazy <laughs> about that save. I'm like, that is not a difficult save to make. Bottom, bottom corner, top corner, yeah, not down the middle. If you're a goalkeeper getting beaten down the middle, that's not a great save. And I heard a lot of people going crazy about, oh, she made some brilliant <laughs> saves during the game. Oh, that was not spicy. one of them. The, the hot takes right, coming in hot, aren't they? <laughs> no, no, I, I think you're right. I, I do think you're right. Um, maybe I was going a bit over the top as well. But I just, I think generally this tournament, she's been pretty much flawless, Mary Earps, from, from start to finish. I think she's one of the most accurate passes as well in the tournaments. Um you know, it's it's so much more than we see. And also her facials are so good as well. I love it. She's very, I mean, I really don't like to compare me male and female, but she is like Pickford's opposite, isn't she? She's just so, she's she's got a real swagger about her and I love it. I, there's always talk about quality of goalkeeping, right? And, you know, it's always become this sort of like this, this issue where you either just talk about it all the time or you're too scared to ever say, actually, I don't think that was a great save or I, that was pretty bad. I actually thought, because a lot was said after the Russo back heel. Um, and I'd never heard the phrase, stay clever, keep them together, that Aaron Ramsdale <laughs> tweeted out, you know, for, for, for if you're a goalkeeper. But I actually thought that, and I think sometimes goalkeepers get, you know, too much praise. I actually thought that's happening so quickly, that Russo back heel. And like, like to react to that would have been, you can be unlucky, it could have hit her in the leg, whatever. Um Clearly, she's at fault for the Frank Kirby goal. But by that time, Anita, the game's sort of done, isn't it? Yeah, it was at 4-0, it's gone. You know, the heads have gone. Um, you saw that in some of the clearances. I think Bjorn tries to make a clearance in the box, slices it, almost ends up potentially in the back of the net, just goes over. Um, but again, like you said, it was instinctive by Russo. I don't think Hedvig Lindahl could react to that necessarily quick enough. She actually had two of her defenders right with um, Russo trying to usher her off the pitch she probably expected the defenders to do a better job than they did in that scenario so she wasn't alert but of course you can argue that a goalkeeper should always be ready you know always be on their toes and have that concentration so for that reason you know she maybe gave too much trust to her defenders in that scenario she should have been thinking worst case scenario but again that's the beauty of football it is instinctive and these moments will happen um, and like I said before, there was a bit of panic in that Swedish defence um, because of the chances that England had created and, and the goals they'd also conceded that lots of players were making rash decisions and, and rash clearances where they weren't getting clean contact. I, I think it's really important. And, and like you, Robin, I, I try to not compare the men and women's game and I find myself doing it by mistake quite a lot. But I think just to contextualise what England are doing, we should do that because they're beating up top teams. For those that don't follow the women's game, Sweden and Spain are not like, they're not jokes. This is the equivalent, I'm going to do it now, of England beating, I don't know. Um, Can you think of two football teams? Go on, John. <laughs> do your best. I'm not helping you here, mate. Come on. Well, this is, you know, ba Barry Barry always brings up, you know, about, you know, the England men saying that they they got a very easy path like, you know, in 2018, wasn't it, to the to the to the semi-final. This has not been an easy path. They had a fairly simple group stage, you could argue, although we thought Norway would be better 
and they obviously weren't. So yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying, John. What which, which team should we go for? Let's go for this. This, this, this is like them beating beating up Portugal and uh, Argentina. Is that fair? Is that a fair? Two top men's nations. Is that a fair equivalent? Yeah, do we go with that? Not quite France, but sort of yeah. Not not not, not quite the best, but two of the, Sweden were one of the pre pre. pre tournament favourites to win this. Yeah, yeah. And to smash them up 4-0 in a semi-final, that, that, that is, that's, that's a big deal. That's, that's a really big deal, I think. Anita, do we have to have the Ellen White or Alicia Russo who starts conversation? You wrote a piece that I completely agreed with actually about Ellen White starting. Or do we just say Serena Vigman <laughs> knows what she's doing, right? Yeah, and Serena we trust, right? <laughs> I mean, everything she's done so far has proven to, to work. Um, this debate is going to run, you know, this is whether we like it or not. And like I said, when I wrote about it, it was just that people also don't look for the work that players do off the ball very often. They only really focus on what players do on the ball. And, and, and that's, you know, whether they're scoring goals or assisting. And of course, that is her role as well. But, you know, a lot of the way England play now is also through their pressing game you know, how to, to sort of stifle the opposition when they're um, out of possession and things like that. And Ellen does that tirelessly and will do that, you know, without a second thought for a team. Um, and, you know, if you look at the way that England were playing as well, most teams, you're not getting that space first half of a game because it's always a bit cagey. It's always both teams trying to feel out each other. You don't necessarily have the rhythm. Um, and in fairness to Ellen, England didn't have a lot of ball possession, you know, in, in some of these games, especially in the first half where you're not getting necessarily the kind of service that a player like her for her attributes needs. Uh, you know, she likes to pin defenders and 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 connect and link players and, and then get herself into the box. She's a kind of a box player. She likes to work within that 18, but she will also run channels. Um, and, and that wasn't really happening as, as often. But at the same time, Alessia Russo, we don't know how she would cope coming into the start of a semi-final with that kind of pressure and, and whatever either. Um, but what we can say is that she's a great student of the game because whatever she's doing from the bench, I feel like she's watching the opposition. She's figuring out what spaces she can exploit with her attributes and how she can help the team um, create and, and things like that. And also all the work that you do. I know what it's like as a defender. I remember playing for England when you play Germany or France and, you, and you've worked 40, 60 minutes into a game. And you're thinking, bloody hell, who's coming on now? And then you see that, then you see that winger warming up or that forward. And it's Elodie Tommy who's rapid or someone and you're going, got my work cut out for me now for the next 15 minutes. So all that tireless work Ellen's done, driving them, you know, <laughs> draining them of energy, Alessia can come on and capitalise on. I just think it, it's like this whole sort of thing of starters and finishers because I think Alessia Russo yesterday came on in around the 55, 55th minute. So like she's not actually getting that much less game time um, than Ellen White. And the other thing is I do think things have changed because of the five subs that you can make thing you can make changes slightly earlier. And it'll be interesting to see because obviously that's going to come into the Premier League next season. So it, it's going to, I think it really changes things quite a lot. 
just to quickly say, yeah, I, I think that kind of also lends itself to the management that Serena Wiegman has been has been employing as well. I've been really imp- impressed by not only her her tactical decisions that have been questioned, but yet she's in a final. So can you question them that much? A bit like Southgate again. I'm doing the, comp- the comparison thing here. Last year was questioned a lot about who he should play, but it got to the final. And just the way she carries herself as well, generally, I, I like her demeanor. I like what she says. She she's she's very very um, focused without being boring and dull. Um, and I think that what she'll be saying, I don't know her, but I imagine from what I've seen her, what she'll be saying is, what we've achieved so far is an achievement. It's not success. Go and win on Sunday. That is success. I think it's important that we realize that a, a final is not an, it's not success success is winning the thing but what they have done is achieve something but now enjoy the semis but let's, let's now focus and get the job done by seeing it through and not letting this be one of those oh england got so far but fell at the final hurdle can i just pick up on your sort of reluctance to compare the games and i wonder anita if if it's something that really annoys you or, or not i i compare i think when i'm watching football i'm always comparing it right because i'm always sort of basically thinking about the 90s because life was easier, right? So like my frame of reference is always comparing whatever football I'm watching to either Cambridge United, the 90s or the Premier League or whatever. So I don't actually have a problem with it at all as long as it's done in a sort of, in a fair way. Or or do you find constant comparisons annoying? Oh, that's a good way uh, to, to put it. I don't know. I, I don't find it, con- I don't find it annoying as such. It depends on what context and, and what the kind of, uh, agenda is when people make that comparison <laughs> you know if you just love sport and, and you love football you look at the game the same way whether it's men or women and that's how I look at the game I love watching men's football I grew up watching it S- some of those guys are idols for me that's also inspired me to play I don't look as gender as the basis for doing anything as such but you know if you love the game and you love um whether it's the tactical side of it, whether it's the individuals and their attributes and things like that, I think you can appreciate either or if you're just looking at it through a lens of like, I, you love football, you know, but when people seek to kind of diminish or undermine one game to the other or place one on a like kind of hierarchy and, and compare a thing to it for that reason, without any context, that's when it annoys me because you've not, you, you literally just got baseless arguments uh, you know, especially with the women's game in terms of, you know, we understand all of us that work within it and play the game that it's still new in the professional sense compared to the men's game. So I'm not going to compare a game that is, you know, 200 years older than the women's game um, on all levels when clearly the women's game is not there yet in every dimension. So, sorry, Max. I, I I personally have an issue when I constantly hear the, the, the stats that, you know, Ellen White is one goal away from becoming England's record goal scoring. I don't like the lumping in of the men's, women's, because I, I just don't, because wh- wh- how far do you go with that? Um, if someone under 16 level scores more goals than Wayne Rooney, do you then include that as well? I, I don't like that. But a question I have to, for Anita and to Robin, I'm asking a lot of the women I know that work in the game and beyond. Do you guys have an issue with the game being called women's football? Or do you prefer it to be called football and it just happens to be played by women? I th- I think I'd prefer I'd I'd prefer not to have the the women's football, to be honest. Um, but sometimes you need that that comparison. That's a really interesting one though, because like you're kind of told occasionally you're kind of doing updates on a radio station and 
that you're kind of told, oh, you know, the audience might not know. So if you say, oh, it's Chelsea women won. That's why I ask. That's, I did a show last week and someone said to me, you can't just say England because people might think you're talking about, you know, Harry Kane's England. And it's like, well, there's a Euros going on. So I think most people know we're talking about the women's game, but then maybe they don't. And For me, I don't mind really because I, I think the, of course, in general, in terms of equality and all of that, like, yeah, you know, the ideal is to be like, oh, we can just talk about football in this very general way related to everyone. But the reality is not everyone knows and you need to sort of be specific at times. And and also, I think it's this idea that, you know, women, what you know, women should be proud to be women and women in sport. And it's come from the notion of that women in the past have not been associated with sport in general or given praise and props for what they do in sport. Do you know what I mean? So like, for me, it's also about like, bringing a kind of highlight or spotlighting women and women in sport um, across sports is really important that we just embrace that as well. So for me, it's not an issue. Should we say men's football then? Men's football, that way it's very clear and it's equal. Yeah, I mean, for me, why not? If we, I mean, if because because the point is, I know what you're saying. You're saying that because men's football has been as, seen as the gold standard and the norm, that's why we're specific about everything else. But if we just bring parity to everything, and you're saying men's or women's football, then you're specific on both accounts. Like, re- really, people shouldn't be offended by yeah. that. Jordan, they were very good questions, but you know, you host one pod and then you just start <laughs> asking all the questions. <laughs> you know, like, do you want, it's I, a can, coup. I can, it's go, a coup, I can go. It's all right, mate. <laughs> you're all right uh, look, that'll do for part one part two we'll begin by asking will england win the euros selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage shopify is there to help you grow shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36 percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms because businesses that grow grow with shopify Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, Robin, are England going to win it? They can win it. They are certainly capable. Um, Will they? I don't know. <laughs> we have to find out. We still don't know who they're going to play yet, do we? Um, France, Germany tonight, both of them have been impressive. Um, in my opinion, I'm slightly more scared of Germany. I'm not sure if that's just a natural inclination as an English football fan, a kind of natural fear of of Germans uh, playing football. But um, they certainly can. Uh, it's a home tournament. I really think the crowd have helped an awful lot, you know, when they've had difficult moments. And also they've got, the best possible manager 
in charge and she's done it before and she can do it again. But I will say whether it's France or Germany, the opposition have gone up another notch in the final. So don't think they'll be able to afford another poor start no matter what happens. I think I'm... I think I'm more scared of France Are you? than Germany. They're yeah. slightly more chaotic, aren't they? They're chaotic, but there's a real sort of athleticism and, mm. and pace about them. Anita, what do you think? Yeah, I, it's a difficult one to call. I, I, between the two sides, the different styles of play as well, uh, you got to factor in. But I agree with you. I think France had the flair players, the ones that cause chaos. I'd probably, for the football that I enjoy to watch, they're that kind of team. Um, but Germany, I just think they're just so efficient in every position um, and probably have good balance back to front, just watching them, that I'm a bit more afraid of them. And I guess as well, from my own experience of playing against Alexandra Pop over the years. <laughs> yeah. And all I have is nightmares, <laughs> uh, sending us out of Champions League and stuff that I kind of just <laughs> worry about her. It's specifically set piece situations like corners and because she's so good in the air and she's got that physicality. Um, it'll be a great test with her and Millie, for example, going, you know, against each other. But something about Germans and, and the legacy in this competition as well, I think. What what made Pop so difficult to play against? I just think she's kind of, she's ruthless. Like she just, she's so determined to score and win. Like for any every team she's played for, she she will just keep doing those things time and time again. But aren't like aren't you all that at that level? Aren't you or is it, or just she is, is she just even more ruthless? <laughs> well, well I think she's had really good um players to to try to emulate. Like Birgit Prinz was one of the all-time goal scorers for Germany when they dominated European football. So she grew up in that time where they got to watch Germany win all the time and know like you're stepping into those shoes and you want to carry that mantle forward. So I think it's kind of like ingrained in her specifically, but those players that, you know, this is this is huge for them as a nation um, and them individually, but she's just such a, she's such a threat in the air as well. And like I said, and I think in the women's game, you're still probably hard pressed to find a good, good chunk of players that are really brave in those box situations um, where they know they could, their nose could potentially fall off. Um, and she's that player will just commit to every ball. Uh, and that for me is, is always a threat because you just got to be alert as a defender in the box all the time because she doesn't let you rest is what I'm saying. Robin, are you shitting yourself about doing the final? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> do you like, do, do you sort of, is it, do you go, right, it's just muscle memory. It's just the same as any other game. Just cross that white line. Because I listen, I was just really conscious because I know you, um, that the the Russo back heel, it's like a massive moment. And you've got to really in that split second go, how, what do you do? And I thought you actually got that spot on. Well, you know, I disagree. Just, wow. No, I disagree. Do no, you? I wasn't happy you... with that because I just couldn't, I oh, couldn't really? find the words. And I've, so many people have said it better, outrageous, genius, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the kind of big TV execs were there yesterday and they just said, it's just another game. I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> this isn't just another game. <laughs> and actually, you don't want the big execs there. You just want, you know, don't, don't, you don't no want suits. management there. No Yeah, get out <laughs> yeah. of just there. Just want Ian Wright. You know, you've made the choice. <laughs> exactly. Like, are you, are you, I mean, it's a, what, what a privilege, right, to be doing oh. what you're doing. I can't believe it. It's just, yeah, it's been the privilege of my life. And it's, and I play, I really need to emphasize this. I play a very small role in this. It's just kind of like background noise. It's, it's all the team doing this. They are 
just a pleasure to watch. And just generally this tournament, not just done England, I think it's the first time I've really not had to kind of, because I've been covering women's football so long and at the start I was way too tub thumping. You know, I was like, oh, this is great. This is brilliant. Because the quality has been so high, I felt much more comfortable being able to criticise properly. Um, and yeah, when someone's made a mistake, it's been a big mistake. And yeah, no, it's it's... It's just been the quality of this tournament just been incredible. It, it, it's been brilliant. And yes, I'm trying not to think about Sunday too much. I don't know what I'm going to do between now and then. What am I going to do? I don't know. Ice baths, sort of recovery, <laughs> things <Yeah>. like that. <laughs> Although to be fair, you you were a bit easy on Ellen White when she went down like a sack of spuds. Oh, I thought that was a pen. Yeah, no, I actually did. I think maybe I was, yeah, Lioness's tinted spectacles. She, she, <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're right. But yeah, it was, it was, that was really funny was that, yeah, there's been quite a lot of criticism, hasn't there, of a few pieces um, of probably men who haven't really watched the women's game. I don't know if you saw yesterday. Yeah. There was there was a piece of, oh, there's no shithousery in women's football. Isn't that great? And actually on the on the piece, it was the picture of Ellen White who'd just taken a die for a penalty. So that was quite funny. I thought that was quite an interesting... I had a... a Tim Stillman's on tomorrow and, and, mm. um, and we actually quite an interesting sort of pleasant chat on Twitter, which yeah. I know that's not what Twitter's for. About that, you know, because I haven't read the Sam Cunningham piece about... So maybe I, so I, I can't say if he was saying there's no shit housery, but there is less. I think definitely, and I there, and there I is. and and I I love shit housery, right? I I just think it's great, and so I don't. I'm I'm happy for it to be in 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 the women's game. I guess there's this. I wonder if there's this feeling about like when Cambridge started getting good, and then other fans came, and you were like, "What are you doing? Like you weren't here when we were shit, you know?" Like and so this idea that if you've been covering the game for so long, that other people coming in and sort of just having their opinion might be a bit annoying. But then I think also there's another point about the atmosphere, right? Which seems great. I saw my mate Charlie Baker tweeting yesterday going, you know, what's great is there's just no aggro. Maybe just men can't cope with football. Like the atmosphere does seem great. And once again, I know we're comparing it all the time. Jordan, your, your hand is up. But like there are things that I think are really positive that are slightly different. I think it's a really good point. I saw a video yesterday, Max, of uh, I think it was at Trafalgar Square when I think the third goal went in. And just the, the celebrating was normal. It wasn't beer everywhere. It wasn't really violent and physical. It was just people celebrating and smiling and jumping around in a very, very normal, respectful way. And I, I'm going to the final on Sunday and I'm really keen to see. Um, I've been to women's football many times before, but I'm really keen to see um uh, how a, a home final with the women's team um is taken by the public and again i'm comparing but i was at the men's final last year and we saw we saw what happened there and i'm expecting nothing like that whether england win or lose regardless um I, i'm really kind of ex excited to see um just be part of the atmosphere just be part of the build-up and um, there won't be drinking from i forgot what time the game is but there won't be drinking from like eight in the morning as there was last year so by the time you get to midday and it's a hot day everyone's smashed and a bit leery I'm, I'm not expecting any of that come on jordan barrel load of you'll have a barrel load of cocaine and a flare up your backside <laughs> by kickoff um we should move on to cristiano ronaldo um uh, uh, we'll be back tomorrow by the way to, to look back at the second semi-final uh, he met eric ten Hag yesterday to discuss his future uh, he's been training at the portugal national team headquarters instead of going on united's pre-season tour I love that Sir Alex Ferguson turned up, Jordan. Like what? Like surely Ten Hag is thinking, you know, 
at least I wasn't there when every time the camera panned up and Sir Alex was there. He's got his sit-down chat with Ronaldo and then he just, what, opens the, you know, like opens a cupboard and Sir Alex is sitting in there going, well, this is what I would do, mate. Like the annoying mother-in-law that just comes over and tries to meddle in your marriage and it's like, just stay out of it. I've got, let me, let me, let me handle my own marriage. Um, I don't think it helps him at all that Sir Alex Ferguson is still looming. He's obviously, a, you know, a large and important figure at the club. But I think that if they're trying to have a, a, a broom sweeping of, of a new era, the, the, Ferguson can't, can't, can't still be involved. I get that they probably think that he can get through to Ronaldo and he can br- bring him back in. But... I don't think Ten Hag really wants Ronaldo in in that squad. I think he'll see it as a blessing if he can. He, he doesn't want to be the bad guy, the guy that ends up telling Ronaldo you're not wanted, sling your hook. But I think deep down, I think if they can find a way for Ronaldo to not be there next season, I think that that would be his preference. The Ronaldo things kind of get, A, it's getting a little bit boring, but also it's getting a little bit unfortunate for him in terms of how he's ending his career. Because if he stays at United, it's going to be very, very sour because we know that he doesn't want to be there. If he goes to another club, I mean, where does he go? I think that is a, that is a conundrum now. Who can afford him that can also offer him Champions League football? There's not really anybody else. So There was the, the rumour of Atletico Madrid. And I sort of feel, Robin actually that really works. There's something yeah. really great about him with Simeone. I, I think it really would, yeah. And I can I can picture him. Um yeah, that was I really felt that would fit fit well. And yeah, as you, as Jordan says, it kind of he'll have Champions League and he'll have Simeone sort of grabbing his uh package at him. You know, what what more could you want? But I do think I think Jordan makes a good point. When they need to change the locks, seriously. When when when's the manager, the next what? How far in the future do you have to go for the next Manchester United manager to not have to deal with Alex Ferguson turning up at a moment's notice? It's just, it's such a burden. And, you know, obviously it's so hard because he's such a legend and he's always going to be welcome at the club. But it's like, it's such an albatross around the neck, isn't it? It's just like, let let the manager get on with it. And in terms of optics, it's not the best thing, is it, really? I think as a player, you want to know who's boss, who's in charge, who's calling the shots. If you're seeing Alex Ferguson, Alex Ferguson showing up every time there's a problem, <laughs> you know, then you, you're looking around thinking, well, is it is Ten Hag really in charge here? Is he the guy that they come to when there are issues or, you know, he's just making crucial and important decisions about the team and the players and all of that stuff? So, yeah, it is a massive conundrum that they really need to solve. They want to go into this sort of new era under a new manager. To be fair, I mean, if, if Sir Alex turned up every time there was a problem, at Manchester United, he'd have to basically just live at Carrington, wouldn't he? Uh, anyway, look, that'll do for part two. Uh, part three will be any other business. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Malcolm says, can you try to rationalise why people like Jordan and Richard Keyes, oh, that's good company for you, Jordan. Wow! Oh. <laughs> I'm seem- my way, but that uh, is the low. <laughs> are seemingly so angry to the point of hysteria <laughs> about Jesse Lingard signing for Forrest. In fact, it's a very shrewd deal for both parties. No transfer fee for Forrest, only a year deal, so no long commitment. I've not commented on Jesse Lingard. What's going on a minute? Have you not? Have you not? Ah, oh, oh, sorry, Simon Jordan. Oh, I see. It's throwing you on the bus. My 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 apologies, Jordan. It just said the question said Jordan, and so I was like, "Well, I presume he's talking about the Jordan that I'm looking at." I see. Do you know what? This is really interesting. I was actually on Talksport on Sunday. Me and Barry are doing our show, 
And obviously, as you know, Jordan, you've got the texts and the tweets coming into your show from people listening to the program. But the way the computer is set up, you also get all the tweets that are just being sent to the TalkSport accounts. So sometimes they're just, you're getting all these messages. And for the first, for quite a few weeks, I was just like, why are people messaging us about Southampton? We haven't said anything for an hour, but you're getting that. So clearly something had happened about, you know, lots of people have said Jesse Lingard sh- shouldn't go to Nottingham Forest, he should go to West Ham. So then I said, I just said, look, I just for the record, I'd like to say, I like Jesse Lingard. I like Nottingham Forest. I hope they both do well. And then they tweeted that out. And even that got <laughs> Forest fans angry. I, 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 you know, I just shows that every, like every set of club has, every club has a set of fans who are just on social media, very defensive. But Jordan, if you would like to weigh in on the Jesse Lingard situation, <laughs> I, now is a great opportunity. Yeah, actually, I would. Um, I actually think a lot of what's been spoken about Jesse Lingard is, is, a, is a lot of nonsense. And I just don't understand this really old school mentality of, oh, he should do this, he should do that. And Jesse Lingard is the modern day footballer in the sense that he understands and is trying to build a brand for himself. He understands that he's not world-class, he's a, he's a good player and he knows his level. It's a one-year deal, which I personally think works for both Nottingham Forest and Jesse Lingard. He might have a plan. I was listening to Rory Jennings on TalkSport a week ago, and he said, we don't know. He may have a plan beyond this year that that we just don't know about. So this idea that, you know, he's turned down the mighty West Ham and he should have gone to West Ham. It's like, well, you don't know what his plan is. Maybe going to West Ham doesn't suit what, what his overall kind of vision for the next couple of years of his career is. I think what's more interesting about Nottingham Forest is the energy from the fan base that are so confident they're going to finish mid-table. I'm hearing Forest fans saying, don't underestimate us. We're going to finish about 12th or 13th. And I'm like, uh, maybe just focus on staying in the league, first of all. But the, the Lingard thing, I think, is, is symptomatic of an old-school mentality regarding the new generation of footballers that are on Instagram, are on TikTok, are building their brand. And I think as long as Jesse Lingard can perform on the pitch, um, I, I, I don't see any problem with him and his extra activity, extra extra curricular activities off the pitch. Um, it's a very American thing. American athletes have other things going on beyond being an NFL player or an NBA player. So why can't Jesse Lingard make a decision going not in the forest, have his thing on TikTok and deliver on the pitch on a Saturday at 3 p.m. I don't see I don't see the outrage and, and why people are so angry about what he's doing. I don't get the outrage, but just from my perspective, from someone who doesn't he doesn't have any skin in this game at all, West Ham, Nottingham Forest, it was just really joyous to see him do well at West Ham. It was really nice, wasn't it? And you know, he scored loads of goals. They were doing that sort of band celebration. So I think that's maybe that's the disappointment from like from people who, you know, who don't really support either side. Just from me, like if he'd gone back and replicated replicated that, although he probably wouldn't, because I've I've heard people, you know, um, compare that to sort of you know Joe Willock ran really hot for Newcastle one on loan, and he hasn't really once he signed permanently, it didn't really. So maybe it was just a nice sort of period for him. But you know, good luck to him. Is um is Jesse Lingard's TikTok good? I mean, I'm not on. I've never, I've never logged into TikTok. <laughs> like I sound like an old man. I, 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 maybe that ship has sailed for me, Jordan. Uh, I don't know. I've, I've just joined TikTok. Um, oh right, okay. How are you getting on? Uh, not very well. Um, okay. but, but I, um, I, I get sent videos of Jesse Lingard, and some of them are really funny. Some of them are crap. Um, but, but regardless, it's, it's what he likes to do, and I just think this kind of old man prism of looking oh how dare you how dare you not go home and sleep for 19 hours and then train and then play football and sleep again the guy's got a life leave him alone if he's performing poorly for nottingham forest then of course he'll get he'll get he'll get heat but i think he likes the idea of being a big fish in a a small pond and i I think he'll do okay there just uh, in case nottingham forest fans are upset with jordan calling it a small pond it is at 
at Jordan Jarrett Bryant. European Cup holders, don't you know? Um, well, not holders, <laughs> but they did win it once. Um, Pietro says, how does the Paolo Dybala presentation compare to the uh, Erling Braut Haaland one? I, I didn't see the Haaland one, but I can't imagine. Anita, I don't know if you've seen the pictures of Dybala in Rome. I mean, it's that is astonishing, isn't it? I mean, it's like the whole of Rome is filled up with people. That is insane. And I just think it reflects how football fans can be sometimes in terms of uh, just putting like an individual player on this massive pedestal. But it kind of reminded, I mean, I was I was like, is it a, a tribute to someone who's died or <laughs> is signed for the club? It was kind of that Maradona, like you know, when, you know, when he passed away and obviously all the fans came out, which is a lovely thing. That's what it looked like to me. And I was like, is this, is this where football is going now? Well, it's Dybala. Yeah, Dybala's sitting there, isn't he? Like, he's sitting on the, like, on a sort of raised platform. And I don't know what street it is in Rome, but it's like a massive <laughs> one, right? And I just wonder what he's thinking. Is he thinking, this is great? What, these people are fucking mad. Yeah. Like, like, How long do I, I have know, to sit here? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good, but like, yeah, you're right. I'm not Jesus, like... <laughs> I, I had to remind myself that he's not even Roman or Italian. Because I thought it's, it'd be different. You can understand it maybe if he's yeah. a Roman, because they're very, very big on, you know, their own. I was like, he's not even Italian. <laughs> I don't, I, and it's not like they're signing Ronaldo or Messi's come here. Um, it, it was bizarre. But then someone deflected to me. Um, uh, he was in Croft. Was, we were joking about it. And he was saying, actually, he's probably the biggest signing they've made in a long time. They've, they've not made the signing of that scale for a while. So. You can maybe understand, but you're right. It was it was a phenomenal amount of people that had come well, out. They love Jose. I mean, you just wait till four weeks in <laughs> when they, he throws Dybala under the bus. He's not. He's not. It's not my kind of player. I didn't want him. Do you think the people of Nottingham will do that for Jesse Lingard? <laughs> <laughs> Almost certainly, aren't they? Um, YP says in the panel's view, which has a more Twilight Zone feeling to it: Yaya Toure coaching in Spurs Academy or Craig Bellamy? assisting Vincent Company in man managing Burnley. Is that what, what's happening here? Can we expect to see Yaya as caretaker manager once Conte gets bored of not winning anything and leaving? Um, Craig Bellamy was also uh, Vincent Company's assistant in Anderlecht. So they played together, didn't they? They would have played together, Bellamy and Company. But you're right, I still can't get my head around anyone that isn't Sean Dyche at Burnley, <laughs> basically, is is too hard to, to, to comprehend. And what kind of football... If you think about, I mean, Ben Fish is on tomorrow. We'll look at the, the EFL, but Burnley did get relegated, didn't they? Yes, they, they did. did. I, I like to think that um, <laughs> that Vincent Company will come out with that crisp white shirt and the tie, you know, as a yeah. sort of tribute. Yeah, and in die. winter when it's snowing, yeah. we wear yeah. shorts and he'll say, but, but um, you know, they've lost me, Tarkovsky and Pope, which is, that's quite a significant And Veghorst as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and about Veghorst. But, you know, they're defensive. What, what they'll do there, I mean, Hopefully he'll pick some players instead of them because that's a lot of experience. He, he might have to play. Um, it's, he was quite good, I guess. Hey, Aston Villa news, Jordan. Their fine list has been leaked. Um, Anita, did you get big fines when you, uh, uh, whenever you were playing? Was there a big list of things you got fined for? We we did have fines. Um, whether or not they always got executed is another question entirely. But um, <laughs> yeah, we did have fines and I, I literally we had fines from everything to like getting nutmegged in training to, you know, showing up late or not having the right kit on, um, that type of thing. But yeah, you know, nothing that's made me 
homeless. Did you, did it, but did it make you feel slightly institutionalised? There's all these rules that most adults just don't, we all, you know, we abide by some, but like most of us aren't just like, it wasn't like I was a bit late for this pod. It wasn't like, oh God, it's going to be 18 pounds. <laughs> the stress of it. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, a little bit. I think it's just always been uh, part and parcel of football and a lot of football teams uh, as a way of like maintaining discipline. But of course, nowadays, a lot of clubs, I suppose, and managers like to put it on the players and be like, you decide. What do you want? Do you want fines? Do you want to enforce it? And and I guess the worst part of that is you get players that just enjoy looking to upset people and go, oh, they didn't put their seat in at lunch that's a fine you know like little things you're just a little bit of power they finally have that reign yeah. and they can just like enforce it here we go uh late onto the training pitch 200 pounds a minute oh, <laughs> that adds up pretty fast doesn't it um uh wrong attire on match day 100 pounds an item um leaving plates cups at the dining table 100 pounds an item that's good that's good you know teach you know some manners that's good illegal parking at football or outside football is 100 pounds we get a parking ticket just out in the street in town do you then have to tell Stephen gerrard and then get an extra 100 pounds <laughs> um forgetting cakes on birthday 50 pounds a day Ooh, that's the yaya Torre Ooh. rule being enforced isn't it isn't it yeah so is that so is that like every day you're late with the birthday. So if you miss it on your birthday, then every day, wow, that's big. Um, <laughs> forgetting your recovery leggings, 50 pounds. Um, but they're all on like 80 grand a week, right? It's sort of like one, it's like it's like when my parents would take one penny off me, pocket money, you know. Um, 200 pounds if you're booked for descent. That was good. If sent off, have to take the team for a meal within four weeks of the red card. Oh, that's I like nice. that one. Isn't it? I like that one. The whole team. It's a lot. It's like coaching <laughs> yeah. staff, backroom staff. It's that, coaching yeah. staff and everyone. What if it's like a Suarez in the World Cup, you know, Suarez v Ghana, right? You're basically taking one for the team. That you then have to, that would be a celebratory dinner, wouldn't it? It'd be nice. Worst player in the small-sided games on MD1, as voted by the winning team, will wear I was the worst trainer jumper the following week for the MD1 warm-up. It's getting a, so it's a little bit too bantery for me, <laughs> that one, isn't it? Um, anyway, uh, they're the Aston Villa finds. If you're interested, if you weren't, you've probably stopped listening by now. Uh, and that'll do for today. Um, thank you, Jordan. I'm very sorry for the early mix-up at the top of part three. That is uh, <laughs> a low blow. <laughs> Cheers, Robin. Good luck on Sunday. Thank you very much, Max. Thank you, Anita. Come on again, please. Thanks, Max, for having me. Uh, Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Christian Bennett. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.